This is Sky Elabar, Big Braden from the Greasy Strangler, and you're listening to Without Your Head. of decapitation without your head i'm nasty neil and i'm joined by holland mcfallister the scandinavian tourist of the greasy strangler hi neil hey uh, so how's it going it's going great it's going great I'm, re- I'm really happy to have you here and uh this is a true story uh for for like the last year or two on, on the show uh as soon as i saw the greasy strangler just the name i was like that movie sounds awesome and then, uh, and then like the poster, and then the 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 trailer comes out, and I'm thinking, oh, this is bound to disappoint me because it just sounds so. <laughs> but then I saw it as like it actually lived up to to all my expectations. Well, I agree. It's a great name. As soon as I had the first audition, I said, "This is great because no one's going. You know exactly what you're getting. No one's going to go to this movie by accident and think, oh my gosh, I thought I was getting a rom-com.' <laughs> right. You know what you're getting." Uh. <laughs> So, like, uh, so when you first saw the name, uh, did that, like, just pique your interest right away? Well, the real interest was the director, because Mm -hmm. I had um, done a commercial with him ten years prior. And, as a matter of fact, I think that commercial was the first commercial I was on that actually aired. Um, I did one that didn't air before that. And Jim's great. He remembers actors, and he, you know, you'll you'll see the Greasy Strangler. There's many people in there who are in his short films and his commercials. His next film has many people from the Greasy Strangler. So Jim is really, really great about that. So that was the first thing. I was like, oh wow, Jim Hosking, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know. And then the title, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, you know, um, after seeing the Greasy Strangler, I went and started to watch your shorts on uh, on Vimeo. Because I really, I just really like his sense of humor, and I like. Yeah. And you mentioned all the different, uh, you know, working with the same people again, and it's always really interesting people in all the movies. It always works. Yeah, you know, I, he's talked about in this film. He had a few ideas or a few pe- uh, interest in, a, you know, actors who are a little bit more visible, a little bit more uh, identifiable, and he really was clear that for this film. He wanted people that uh, the public did hadn't seen quite as often. Mm-hmm. So he really is into um, 
you know, his little repertory company, which I love. And they're all, you know, I'm, I'm just you look around the set and you're just looking at really interesting people, mm-hmm. really interesting characters. Mm-hmm. You mentioned uh, uh, working with them uh, 10 years ago. So it must have been mm-hmm. a good experience uh, to see his name on, you know, a film and, 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 and wanted to do it. Yeah, and I was, uh, it was interesting. I actually um, got called into audition, and I was kind of scratching my head because, I mean, honestly, Scandinavian tourists isn't the first <laughs> thing I'd think of looking at me. Uh, and I was wondering, hmm, how did I get this? Did my manager submit me, or was it just a submission? And then, because I, I didn't know who the director was till I got there, and I went, ah, that's why I'm here. <laughs> and I actually had... They had me uh, audition for two different roles. I went in the first time for the Scandinavian tourist, and, um, you know, I didn't have any kind of accent. I went out the weekend <laughs> before and got one of those tapes, you know, learn a Swedish accent in uh-huh. 20 minutes, you know, and kind of boned up on that. So that was like on a Monday, and then uh, I, I, on Tuesday... I had a, a friend who called me and said, oh, I just got an audition for the Greasy Strangler for the Scandinavian Tourist. And I said, oh, wait, I, I auditioned for that role. And I thought, well, I guess I didn't get it because they were still seeing people. Mm. Well, then on Wednesday, I got a call to come in and audition for another role, which was um, the hot dog vendor that Mel Cole was so wonderful in. God bless him. He, uh, I, know, I know Sky mentioned he passed away a couple of months ago. Mm. And really one of the sweetest colleagues you can imagine. But at any rate, I had um, auditioned for that role as well, and then obviously I booked the, the, the first one. Mm. Yeah. So uh, that actor passed away, uh, that, that's really too bad, because uh, he was definitely one of the memorable guys in the movie. Uh, were you friends Absolutely. with him, too? You know, it's funny. I really, you know, I knew him, uh, you know, I didn't work with that many people in the cast. I mm-hmm. shot for two days, and, uh, you know, the people in the scene, my fellow tourists, and, of course, Sky and Michael and Elizabeth, but that was pretty much it. Um, so I met Mel at, uh, you know, at premieres, you know, at the uh, uh, different openings, uh, at the rap party. Didn't really get to know him. And then uh, we had uh, the first theatrical run of The Greasy Strangler. It was at a theater uh, called the Silent Movie Theater. And we both showed up at the same performance, and uh, he and uh, Gil, uh, who, who plays the uh, supposedly blind guy at the uh, uh, car wash, uh, the three of us decided to hang out afterwards. So we went out for coffee, and it was really beautiful. We just all talked about what a great experience this film had been and um, what the future holds, and it was just a really sweet evening and uh mel actually drove me home i don't drive and uh he swung me home and he was just so uh just such a warm person and uh caring about other people i really i i obviously uh deeply sorry for the loss and also um grateful that i got that one moment you know that Mm -hmm. that little moment in time to get to know a good soul Mm mm-hmm I'm glad uh, he got to see the movie, too, with an audience. That, that had to be a fun experience. Yes. You know, prior to the actual theatrical release, we had uh, the real L.A. premiere, which is at one of the most beautiful theaters uh, in downtown L.A. Um, it's part of a, a, a hotel, and uh, he got to be there, which was great. So, yeah, I'm glad he did, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, you speak, well, when, 
when it came out and uh, you know you get to see the finished uh, product, like uh, was it what you thought it would be? Was it any different? You know, after it's been edited and it has uh, uh, the music and everything added, completely different. I'll tell you, I I, I was lucky enough to make it to Sundance for the uh, the premiere, which was a midnight screening. Not that we we screened. I don't know, three or four times at Sundance, and just the first one was a midnight screening. We had a little party prior to uh, the screening, and then I was sitting next to the writer and the writer's brother, not uh, Jim, but uh, mm-hmm. the uh, uh, co-writer, and I was in shock. It was not what I expected. You know, the fascinating thing with film, I started doing theater years ago, now it's all for camera, film, and television. But in theater, you really control the performance. I mean, it's yours. It's you know, it's yours, good or bad. It's yours. In film, it's not. You give the director material. You give them the raw material. With the Greasy Strangler, I can't tell you. I mean, you know, the first. Well, it's the first scene we shot, but it's the second scene. It's where we're all killed. Oops, mm-hmm. spoiler alert. Sorry <laughs> about that. Um, it's pretty early in the movie. Shot, <laughs> we shot from like 6 o'clock at night to 7 in the morning. It was an all-night shoot. So you think of that. You think how long the scene runs, 3 to 5 minutes. We shot all night, take after take after take. And Jim is fascinating. He'll sometimes not even stop the camera. He'll have you repeat one line over and over. So you don't know what the heck <laughs> is, is going to be there. And honestly, when I first saw my work, it wasn't any of the takes that I expected. I even thought, well, I'll tell you two things. One line I thought was dubbed because I didn't remember doing the line <laughs> that way. It wasn't. Uh-huh. And the other thing that was hysterical, that's in the um, other scene, the first scene in the movie, the second scene we shot, uh, I say something, we're doing uh, free drinks, free drinks, free <laughs> drinks. And then I say something in German, like fried drinking or something. Uh-huh. So at Sundance, uh, the opening night of Sundance, before you know any of the screenings, there was a huge party. Uh, you know, Elijah Wood is one of our producers. Mm-hmm. And I got an email or a phone call from uh, Elijah Wood's sister, who is involved, and said, you all have invitations to this big opening night party. So it was very exciting. And uh, have you, you've seen the pink hats, of course, the green Yeah, I, I actually really want one because I think, I think they're awesome. Uh-huh. Well, you know, I just visited my mom and she grabbed my extra one. So oh. otherwise, I would have <laughs> sent it to you. Um, but at the opening night, it was great because uh, all the producers were wearing the pink hats. And here was this huge room full of people, and you could spot everyone involved with the Greasy Strangler. It's just the producers at that point, because, you know, none of the hats had been distributed. Well, I didn't know the producers, but they all knew me, because they'd seen, you know, screaming several times. So I went up to everyone with a pink hat, and, you know, and, you know, it was all this nice interchange. And one person said, oh, I love it when you say that line in German. And I looked at him, and I said, oh, thank you, but... (laughs) I think maybe you're thinking of another actor. I, I don't say a line in German. He said, yes, you do. I said, okay, thank you. <laughs> I had no idea what he was talking about. We did so many takes on that, and at one point, Jim just said, say fry drinking, or whatever it is. Uh, and I said it. I didn't even remember saying it, because we had done so many different things. I didn't even remember saying it until I saw the film, and I went, oh, that is me. <laughs> 
That's pretty awesome. <laughs> so, so, no, the film was nothing like I expected. And, of course, I didn't know what to expect because I wasn't there for the filming of the majority of it. Mm-hmm. But my scenes were nothing like it. And, oh, man, that first night at Sundance was a trip because we had people walking out left and right, mm-hmm. you know. And we just thought, oh, my God, you know, what, what have we gotten into? <laughs> so the next day the reviews started coming out and we got a few pans, but then we started getting these raids. I mean, you know, the Daily Beast was off the roof. The Guardian loved us. The Daily Beast, one of their critics, ended up choosing us the best film of Sundance 2016. <laughs> That's awesome. So, you know, it yeah. was... It, so the second time screening I saw, which was like two days later, first of all, I talked to a lot of people involved in actors and production, and most of them had the same experience I did, which was the first thing was we were just so baffled by what we saw, by this weird mixed response. Most of us didn't have a great time the first one. Then we saw it the second time, and we knew what we were getting. We knew what we were going to see. And we loved it, mm-hmm. you know, so, uh, I, I mean, but I think we were all in shell shock the first night, or a majority of us were, and then loved it the second night. Mm-hmm. The second performance, my favorite thing was there's a woman behind me, not involved in the movie, and it was the scene where Janet is on the toilet, and, uh, you know, uh, Michael is... Um, uh, standing there and it's just so creepy. <laughs> uh-huh. And the woman behind me was saying, and not in a dismissive way, not in a, you know, but like really coming from her gut, mm-hmm. she kept saying, Lord Jesus, <laughs> Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus. I mean, I truly believe that she was calling on divinity to get her through <laughs> the end of the movie. And I love that. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So, yeah, I mean, the Greasy Strangler, look, I got this, and I'll be completely honest with you, Jim, I hope you're not listening. Um, I wasn't sure I even wanted to audition for it or do it. At that point, I didn't know Jim was involved. Right. Uh, It was, you know, a low-budget film, so it wasn't a lot of money involved. It was, you know, um, a character that doesn't have a name. I prefer characters that have names. Uh. Um, And I was actually originally, uh, up until, uh, I mean, contracts and everything, I was the Swedish tourist. But we fudged around with the accent so much, because he didn't want a strong da-da-da-da-da. And the accent became so kind of nondescript. You just knew he was from someplace else, but it wasn't clearly Swedish. So when I saw the credits, I saw, oh, I became the Scandinavian yeah. tourist, which is, you know, gives you a little bit more latitude. Yeah, because you know, I don't from... think anyone knows what a Scandinavian accent really sounds like. No. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what's interesting. When I was working on the Swedish accent, I, I really got online. I found people in Sweden. I Skyped them. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. the thing with the Swedish accent is to the American ear, we all think, you know, uh, the Swedish chef, <laughs> uh-huh. you know, from the Muppets, right. or we think, duh, 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 duh. And the Swedes don't have that accent, maybe in the, you know, early 1900s, mm-hmm. but the Swedes actually speak next to native speakers, they have the best English accent. They learn young, and it's almost undetectable. It sounds slightly British, so it's it's very subtle. Mm-hmm. At any rate, I like Scandinavian because you're right. No one knows what that is, and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's what they get. Right. You don't know what it is. <laughs> Except for Scandinavians, I suppose. But. Exactly. There you go. <laughs> well, it'll probably, be, it'll probably be dubbed there, so it won't matter. <laughs> that's very true. <laughs> 
so what's uh what's the reaction been like uh by, by other uh like friends of yours that have seen the movie because i just know personally uh everyone that i know either like just loves the movie like myself or they're they tell me like they couldn't get through it there's nobody that's like it's okay you know it's either they re- you really love it right. or like oh my god love it or hate it that's yeah. absolutely right to be honest with my friends, um, it's not the kind of movie uh, most of my friends would go to. Mm-hmm. So I found that it's pretty self-selective. The people who wouldn't like it don't watch it. The people who think they would like it watch it and love it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I only have one friend who wasn't his cup of tea, but it was so sweet. He is my oldest friend, Scott Penn. We, you know, grew up in this little Jewish community in Cape Cod. I mean, we weren't isolated, but yeah. we're, you know... Uh, uh, we were babies together, literally, born six months apart. Uh, you know, his cousins lived across the street. And this is not his kind of film at all. <laughs> well, it was playing in Brooklyn. He lives in New York. So he went to the theater. And uh, when he went to buy the ticket, he said, I know someone in this. And the, the ticket taker said, oh, I love this film. I've seen it so many times. Who's your friend? And uh, Scott said, the, the Scandinavian tourist. And he said, oh. And this was the guy's reaction. He said, oh, he has the gentlest death. <laughs> which I thought was a historical description, but it's true. Yeah, it as a matter is. fact, got to get uh, yeah, in the head. I, I'm the only one who I say. I mean, I don't really think you know that I die. You don't see me take my last gasp. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you see his hands around me. I go through something. I, I guess I shouldn't give anything away, but uh, you see me fall to my fall. But do I die? I don't know. I'm convinced I'm coming back. But mm-hmm. uh, at any rate. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Scott was uh, uh, <laughs> was thrilled to see me on the screen, but it wasn't quite his cup of tea. But I've got other friends who thought they would love it and loved it even more. Mm-hmm. I had one friend who came to me uh, for the theater when we played in the theater here, and he just he was over the moon. He just loved the movie so much. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think the music uh, helps the whole movie too. Like I like the movie. Oh, isn't anyway, it but great? Yeah, it kind of gives. You know, there's a lot of like horrible things happening, but then the music's so like charming. It kind of like uh, kind of off puts like uh, uh, the awful stuff you're watching. There's just something that it gives a a charming appeal it, to it. Absolutely. I just have to go back to reaction. I do have to confess, uh, my sister. Uh, watched it when she was visiting my mother in Florida, and uh, my sister chose to turn it off after my death. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, it's it's definitely not a movie for everybody. But. <laughs> no, but you know the one thing I'll say you know, in terms of the music and all that. Jim's talked a lot about this in interviews, and I said it before I heard him saying it. I don't really consider it, I consider it more of a comedy yeah, than a horror movie. Mm-hmm. And I was worried. I'm, I'm thrilled because sites like yours and, um, you know, a ton of, of horror websites have embraced the film. Mm-hmm. And that was actually what I was worried about because I thought, will people who come from for horror be really satisfied with this? Because it doesn't really have them. I mean, there's really there's no there's no suspense. No. There's no guessing who the greasy strangler is. Oh. I mean, it's it's almost a comedy in the guise of a horror movie, you know? Mm. So it's an interesting hybrid, I think. And it's not even a spoof of horror movies, because, mm. you know, that's a genre, too. 
I don't know, whatever you want it to be, it is. If you want it to be a horror movie, it's a horror movie. <laughs> but to me, it's kind of a a really quirky comedy. Yeah, you that's know? What... and that music helps that. Definitely. Like... Yeah, that's that's what I like about it, though. It's very original. Yeah, it, it doesn't is. really fit into any genre. I guess it's just it's its own movie. When I read the script, honestly. I didn't get it. I just didn't get it. Not I liked it, I didn't like it. I didn't get it. And when we filmed it, I didn't get it. I had to go in for looping for one line that I had to looping when you, you know, record voiceover the image. And it was the first time I saw footage and I only saw a couple of minutes. Uh it was the the, the scene where we're at the vending machine. And when I saw that two minutes and I saw how it was shot, I saw the colors, I saw the look, I saw everything, I thought, oh, oh, this is, is, is about something greater than any of the components. It's Jim's vision. Jim, uh, I mean, Jim is so specific when you're working with him directing. He, he, he will, he's relentless in getting what he sees in his head. So when you're seeing that film... That's really, you know, more than the writer, more than anything. It's Jim just collects everything and gets his image, and he's great at doing that. And his his vision and what he sees is so unique, and that's what's fun about it. Is you're you're seeing the world through, you know, like Fellini. You're seeing it through a very specific lens. Mm-hmm. You said that that scene, like you guys filmed it all night, doing a bunch of uh, mm-hmm. takes. Uh, was that like mm-hmm. at an actual hotel, and so were you just like there without like pants on, like? all night yes it was hysterical <laughs> did you even notice that i don't have pants on uh yeah yeah because the way it's shot you you're, it's mostly from the waist up i thought no one's seeing that <laughs> without my pants no it was you know that um that hotel is within a few miles of me it's a very different neighborhood i live in a nicer neighborhood than that <laughs> but it's not far from me and uh it's on hollywood boulevard have, have you been to hollywood yeah, a couple of years ago, uh, Annabelle and I went um, for a movie premiere, and we actually rented a, an apartment right on Hollywood Boulevard. It was, it was a good time. Oh, cool. Do you remember the cross street? I'm wondering what end of Hollywood Boulevard you were on. Um, we, were, we were just, it was just a, it wasn't a far walk to the, uh, to the Chinese theater. Okay, so you were in the nice side of Hollywood Boulevard. Uh-huh. Hollywood Boulevard, the uh, west side, which is near Highland and Hollywood, where the Academy Awards are held, and it's, you know, it's the section for, for tourists, and it was redone, I don't know, 10, 20 years ago, and they did a great job, because all of Hollywood had been run down. Mm-hmm. So that end is really nice. This is kind of the east uh, end of Hollywood Boulevard, which is not so nice. Uh-huh. And this hotel actually was a rent-by-the-hour I kid you not. I mean, I didn't even know that existed. Uh, but we we went into the, um, uh, you know, where you register, into the lobby, you know, between takes. And I, like, saw the sign. I was like, oh, my God, this is the real thing. So, obviously, uh, they rented it. Uh, uh, you know, they rented the whole thing out for the evening. So all the people who were renting by the hour, I guess, were doing their business <laughs> elsewhere. Um and it was the uh, craft services where you eat was across the street for, from, uh, from, you had to cross Hollywood Boulevard to get to the food. And uh, so that was the one time I put it on a bathrobe. But otherwise, you know, I'm running around without my pants, you know, for <laughs> 11, 12 hours in this parking lot. And people are going by. But, you know, on that end of Hollywood Boulevard, <laughs> no, it's no. not that big a deal. It's not that big a deal. Uh, but it was from, I mean, it was, it was great fun. It was funny with the costumes. 
Um, when I went for my costume fitting, we did the suit uh, that's so uh, great and, and strange and out of place uh, for that first scene when we're doing the disco tour. Uh, and just as I was leaving, uh, the, the uh, uh, costume designer, who did such a great job, uh, said, oh, we didn't fit him for underwear. And I was like, underwear? What? <laughs> I mean, I didn't know that, you know. And they, said, oh, and they said, oh, we'll do that on the set. <laughs> well, look, I'm, you know, I'm from Cape Cod, and I got the Puritan blood. Oh. I'll do just about anything in terms of emotional places, but I'm a little prudish. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my gosh, what am I going to be doing? So they said they'll have the costume fitting on the, the they'll have the costumes that night on the set. So I'm worrying right up to the shooting, and I kind of call and I go, "Am I going to be without a shirt? Because maybe I should do a few push-ups before." <laughs> you know? And they said, "No, don't worry, don't worry." So I got there and I tried on a few different costumes. One of them was hysterical. It was a long, like granny nightgown. I mean, clearly a woman, an old lady's nightgown. <laughs> I, you know, I don't know what they were thinking, but it was funny. And then I ended up uh, with what I was wearing, which I was thrilled about, just, just modest enough for me. Mm -hmm. But right when, we were, when I got on the set with uh, uh, wearing the costume I was wearing, Michael called out, I like the nightgown better. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, I'll put it on for you after the shoot, Michael. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, it was um, it was great. It was a little cold, and there were uh, I, you know my favorite place to be is on a movie set. It's it's just it's so many people working together. I just wish the whole world worked together the w for a common cause the way people work together uh, on a movie set. So you know. I'm wearing glasses, but they're not my glasses, and, and, you know, I don't like to be standing around hours without a glasses. So there's one person holding glasses for me between takes. Someone had uh, blankets and jackets because it was cold, and especially for, you know, the other two who had even less clothing than I did. You know, they'd have jackets that would put on between takes. Mm -hmm. The other thing that was funny for the, uh, on the set is when I first got there, I went straight to craft services where I was supposed to wait, and uh, I have a stunt double for about two seconds, for about two seconds. Mm -hmm. uh, and I met him, a great guy, uh, uh, Bonsai Vitali is his name. And uh, I have, um, you know, I have, I, I have more and more gray in my hair, but I still have, it's still uh, not salt and pepper because it's not white, but it's, you know, mixed color at this mm -hmm. point. And it's curly, and it was long at that point. Well, uh, Bonsai has, short, straight hair that was completely gray. So it didn't look at all <laughs> similar. Well, we went over to uh, costume and, and uh, to, to makeup, to hair and makeup, and she looked at us and she said, I was told your hair was identical and I didn't need to get a wig. <laughs> so it's now 6 o'clock on a Friday night. And she goes, well, we're just going to have to get one wig and you'll both wear it. And uh, she went up and told Jim, and Jim said, no, 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 I want Holland's hair. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden, everyone goes into emergency mode, and it's, you know, they're calling places that are closed, and one person says, I think I have a wig at home. So this one person drives home, comes back with a wig, clearly a woman's wig, you know, but curly. Mm -hmm. And from the front, it looks nothing like me. From the back, it looks exactly like me. 
But that's the kind of mobilization you have on a set, and that I just, just love. You know, mm-hmm. things just get done. It's mm-hmm. amazing. See, you mentioned uh, Michael. Is he, uh, uh, when I'm on the show, he's very boisterous, and just like he's in the movie, is, uh, is he a fun person to be around? <laughs> he is, because he's such a unique character. He can be, uh, if he's, if he's not pleased with something, you will know. <laughs> uh-huh. If you do something wrong, you will know. <laughs> but he's so delightful. I mean, you know, talk about one of a kind. And I'm going to say, just because you asked about Michael, that a nicer actor to work with than Sky, you could not ask for. Mm-hmm. He's just a really giving human being. They're mm-hmm. both great. They're mm-hmm. both great. You know. Those are, uh, they're both great, yeah. <laughs> yeah just, uh, they were both wicked nice on the show, and, uh, and, uh, like, since then, Sky's, you know, emailed me a couple times and stuff, and he seems just like a, a really nice, uh, genuine guy. He, genuine is, is a good word, yeah. Great guy. He's got a lovely wife as well, Rosa. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, the, the whole potato scene is, 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 is very funny to me, and, uh, apparently it was, uh, based on a, a true story, but... Yeah, uh, Morton, the uh, uh, director of photography, who isn't his work great? I mean, doesn't mm. the film just look great? Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, uh, he told me that it was a true story. I knew that before I heard uh, Jim uh, uh, tell it. Uh, mm. Morton, because Morton was there that night. Uh, yeah, that was an interesting scene. The other two, in uh, you know, my two fellow tours. Yeah. They're so funny. Yeah. They're so funny. I mean, I'm kind of the, the straight man in the group, you know. <laughs> uh-huh. I'm, I'm there, and uh, uh, but happy to be straight man to those two, you know, Abdullah and Sam. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and their accents are real. Those are their real things. However, there's one thing I should say, because it drove me crazy. One critic said uh, the potato scene was making fun of Sam's accent. Sam plays the Indian tourist, obviously. And it's not. Sam, mm-hmm. I mean, Sam does have a, 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 a great, strong accent, but he doesn't say potato that way. As a matter <laughs> of fact, Jim had to keep coaching him to say it wrong, <laughs> uh. because every time he said it, it just sounded like potato <laughs> with an Indian accent. And Jim, you know, over and over, no, you have to say, you know. Uh. So that's not, uh, Sam is perfectly comprehensible and yeah. has a small role in uh you know a cameo in jim's new film as well i just found out which is great right, i'm looking forward i like i said i went back and watched some of his uh because there's a bunch of them on vimeo and uh it was cool to see other different uh, actors pop up on different uh yes uh, shorts yes. he's made oh there's one other funny thing uh during the uh potato scene um after i fall to my death uh jim was going to do an insert of my face and he had the um, first. He had the idea that what he wanted to do for blood or whatever was peanut butter and jelly all over my face. <laughs> now there's a person who was doing special effects that w- thought this was not a good idea. <laughs> thought this would not work out well. Uh-huh. But Jim knew what he wanted. He wanted peanut butter and jelly on my face. So they smeared my face with peanut butter and jelly. And I sat that way for, I don't know, two to four hours, and then they ran out of time, uh. <laughs> and they couldn't shoot it. So. <laughs> the peanut butter and jelly shot will never be seen. It's oh. only in my imagination. <laughs> well, that's, that's sad, but yeah. 
<laughs> well, I'll tell you the thing with film again is what I said earlier, which is you give them raw footage, which mm-hmm. is what's so interesting. Um, I've never done a project where something I loved wasn't cut, and uh, the first few times it's horrifying. And that's not mm-hmm. true. I won't say every time, but it's often. It's often. Um, I did another. Uh, uh, just uh, a horror uh, uh, type thing um, with Dominique Monaghan. Uh, it was uh, a thing for Sony's website, Crackle, uh, and you know it ran there for a while, and then they put all the episodes together and mm-hmm. turned it into a DVD called The Unknown. But I had one scene in there where I, it was just like the best dramatic scene I'd ever shot, and the director was like, "Oh my God, that's great! We got it in one shot," and that was completely cut, you know. And and you 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 discuss. It's rarely and actually usually never about performance or the work. It's about the timing, story structure, talent, but not important storytelling. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you you just accept that. That this is what you do. You go and have fun, and then you get a surprise at the end and see what, what they came up with. Yeah. So... Uh, yeah. How did you get uh, interested in acting? Like, did you grow up, you know, watching okay, uh, movies? And... I can't believe someone's calling me, so I just got a beep. I'm obviously not going to take the call, but uh, I, I missed your question. Uh, yeah, uh, just um, hold on. I'm just right down the time here, so I can edit that out. Okay. Um, no problem. G- give it a sec. Give it a second, so this call can hang up. Yeah. Okay. No worries. Yeah, you know what? I forgot. There is a way to turn that off, and I didn't do it. <laughs> There was a beep okay. earlier. I wrote down the uh, the time, but uh, okay. So okay. go ahead. Yeah, just um, how did you get into acting to begin with? Uh, did you grow up watching movies and was something you wanted to do? I can't remember a time when I didn't want to do this, uh, but it's been an interesting journey. My first thing was um, I'm dating myself, but uh, you know, uh, there's no pro- I don't have a problem with that. I grew up with records, <laughs> you know, that thing uh, called vinyl. Uh-huh. And uh, they used to have long play records of people doing fairy tales. You know, uh, you know, Dennis Day tells the story of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. And, you know, they were, I don't know, 20 minutes, however long. I used to memorize these word for word. And I wanted to be a storyteller and go from village to village and tell stories. And uh, I was rather disappointed when I found out that this was not a legitimate uh, <laughs> profession. Uh-huh. Um, so I always wanted to tell stories and, you know, be the person telling stories. Um, so then I did my first play when I was at summer camp. And I still remember my, the, my first line, got a laugh. And I still remember it like it was, I mean, I really remember being there. And this is decades ago. And that, that was it. That was it. The sound of laughter, being on stage. But I've been in and out of acting. I kind of had a love-hate with it. Um, I took a lot of time off. I went to music school in the late, uh, early 90s, late 80s. Uh, I, wrote a, I moved to New York. I wrote a musical that was done off-off-Broadway. That's very exciting. Um, and, I, I, and I got into teaching. I was teaching English as a second language to adults. I loved it, loved it. Didn't think of it as a second job. It was my job. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I moved back to L.A., and uh, I was teaching, and about six months to a year being out here, it's like one day I was like, I think I want to act again. And that surprised me more than any of my friends. I, I never thought I'd come back to it. 
I got involved in a few things, uh, a particular class. I got an agent very quickly. And all of a sudden, this phase of my acting career, I've never loved acting more. There's no, I used to, you know, I think when you have mixed feelings about something, you can't move forward because you're pulling yourself in two directions. Mm -hmm. Now it's just one direction. I love this. I mean, you know, you, you just accept the things that are true, which is you're not going to get everything you auditioned for. Mm -hmm. you, you know, you, things are going to be, all those things, you just accept them. The pleasure to me is so great. As I say, being on a set, it's, it's the thing uh, which I mentioned earlier, which is that it's everyone working together. And as an actor, you're kind of the surfer on the wave. But there's an entire ocean that allows you to be surfing. You have experts in every field. And anything that needs to be done gets done. I mean, you know, I had a, a, a shot in, in, in something where someone had to throw me in the air. But they needed me a little higher to position the camera right. And, you know, in two seconds, they built a little stand that's the right height. I did a commercial once, and I was playing a very dull uh, guest on a talk show host, which I hope isn't the case today. <laughs> Definitely not. Definitely not. <laughs> I, sh I shouldn't, I shouldn't uh, bring that <laughs> idea up. But at any rate, um, uh, they, the director all of a sudden said, you know, we need a copy of this guy's book with his picture on the back. And all of a sudden, I'm, I'm pulled into a back room. They take your picture of me. And 10 minutes later, I'm holding a book with my picture on the cover. <laughs> you have so many people who are so good at what they do all working together. Mm -hmm. um, so, I, so that, you know, I've been in and out of acting. I've, you know, done music. I've done teaching. But acting is where I'm at. And it's really, really my love right now. And I'm mm -hmm. so grateful to have the opportunities to do it. What caused the the love hate relationship? What was uh, what was like the conflict there? Yeah, it's a good question. You, you know, I'm kind of. I mean, to do that, I'm really kind of having to think back to a younger self that you know isn't really, you know, me right now. Mm -hmm. But I think it was insecurities. Uh, I think a lot of it was. Um, I think most. I think this is true for acting, and I can't imagine that's not true for other fields. But I think feelings of worthiness and um, uh, fear of success. I think a lot of us, I think you have to come to a point where you feel like you deserve it before you can have it, mm -hmm. if that makes any sense. Uh, so I think that's a common thing, and I think it just took me, you know, we all have different journeys, different stories, and I don't regret any of it. I mean, you know, my story is the guy who makes it a little later in life, and I'm, I'm happy with that story. You know, everything led me to here. Mm -hmm. um, there's also something I'm just going to throw out while I'm on this topic because it's a book I want everyone to read <laughs> it's, just, it's just so life changing it's an old book from the 60s I mean for people who are into self-help books some people aren't and I get that uh, but if you're into self-help books check out the original which is called Psycho-Cybernetics by Maxwell Maltz I think it is but don't confuse it because I'm not talking about cybernetics, which is the Scientology thing. That's not what I'm talking uh, about. Uh, <laughs> and I don't, it's psycho-cybernetics, mm. and I assume Scientology kind of stole the, you know, half the title. Uh, but it's a great book. For any of your listeners who, who, who want to do some self-help uh, some some self work, stick with that one. It's the best. <laughs> I'll also say the other thing, too, is I did a lifetime of acting classes that were such a waste of time. <laughs> I mean, all they did was make me go, oh my God, I'm not doing it right, and made me question myself. 
I took one acting class. She's kind of the, I won't say she's the best kept secret. She's, she's not the best known of the, she's kind of in the list of famous teachers, but she's not as known. She doesn't have a book, mm -hmm. so people don't know her. But it's Diana Castle with a, a school called The Imagined Life. It was so freeing that that, I think, helped with my falling back in love with acting. It gave me permission to stop doing a, a lot of stuff. I, her approach in the way I work is not so much analyzing, but imagination, becoming that person and knowing that there's absolutely nothing that I experience, that anyone experiences a human being that's not in me. You know, it's really connecting to that interconnectedness. You know, mm -hmm. there's a Scandinavian tourist in all of us. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a greasy strangler in all of us. <laughs> exactly. You know? The yin and the yang, exactly. <laughs> two, two sides of one coin. But uh, uh, yeah. what, what was the uh, what was the off uh, Broadway musical play you wrote? What was that about? It's called it's called Boyfriend for the Holidays, and uh, it was a uh, gay romance set at Christmas time. It was very old fashioned. Um, we got some great reviews, and we got a great reception. It hasn't really had a life after that, but uh, I'm hoping that the songs may still have a life. There's a few. Christmas songs and standalone songs from it. Mm -hmm. um, it was thrilling to see it realized, you know. I, I won a little competition uh, that uh, was for one-act musicals, and then I expanded it. A theater in Chicago, uh, which I don't think exists anymore, it's called Bailiwick, they picked it up for a series of stage readings. I lived in Chicago for a month and worked on it there, and then came back and uh, theater in New York uh, picked it up as part of their, their little season. So, uh, yeah, it was great. But, you know, it's funny. It's like, I really feel like life just has chapters. It's like, I can't even, I, I mean, I'm so disconnected from music at this point. And it was my life for a couple of years, you know. Mm -hmm. Studied for a year, wrote for a year, got a catalog of songs, just loved it. It was every breathing moment. And I'm glad that was part of my life story. But it's, um, you know, there are people who say, Oh, you should go back to music. And I don't know. I never say never because you never know what the future is going to hold. Mm -hmm. But I do. I can't imagine it. It's another person who did that. Mm -hmm. And I have to mention because I'm from Cape Cod as well. And uh, we both yes. shared this off the, off the air. Is uh, If anyone, there's a lot of cool things to see on, on the Cape. But Plymouth Rock, you're going to be disappointed, anyone out there. Oh, the biggest disappointment. You go down and you're looking at a little pit, a little rock. <laughs> uh <laughs> you know, I said earlier, I, 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 uh, I did a family vacation to Spain, and we traveled to, uh, to Africa, you know, because we're on the coast to coast. Mm -hmm. And you see the Rock of Gibraltar. Now, that's a rock. <laughs> I mean, you know, you can see that. That fills up the landscape. Yes. But, you know, it was fun as a kid seeing all the, pil <laughs> the people dressed up as pilgrims running around. You know? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, we used to go to the... Uh... At, least, at least the boat was, you know, something. But, oh, my God, I, still, I, I can remember the rock. And then once you see it, you feel bad for everyone else. You think, oh, my God, they traveled all this way to see this little rock down yeah. there. Yeah, yeah, you then, can't even touch it. You can't even no, touch it. You're looking right. through guardrails. Uh -huh. Yeah, and then it, you're kind of almost people watching at that point because you're wa the, looking at people who stand there and like you think, how long have they been here? 
And wh- that's exactly right. That's exactly <laughs> what do they right. see that, that I don't see that's so fascinating? <laughs> they're using their imagination. <laughs> exactly. they're, still, they're writing a whole story about this little rock. Uh, exactly. <laughs> And, of course, where you come from, you have the famous glass factory. Yes, yes, the glass museum. and uh, I, get, I think yeah. a lot of it is if you're from a certain area, uh, you're used to everything, so it's not necessarily that great to you. But but uh, other people come from all around to see the glass museum. So, Well, you know, people always say to me, oh, my gosh, you grew up in Hyannis, you grew up on Cape <laughs> Cod, that must have been great. And I go... You don't know anything else. It's just where you grew, grew up. I right. mean, it's not like you had an apple and an orange. You just had an apple, and you go, you know, it's, it's an apple. Uh-huh. You know, you don't know. You haven't seen the orange. Uh, but I do know when I go back now, mm-hmm. which isn't often, usually for you know, weddings and funerals. Unfortunately, uh, I do go. Oh my gosh, this is beautiful. I grew up here. I grew up here. <laughs> But growing up, you don't know that. Yeah. yeah. And, of, and of course, it's also interesting because, well, because everything changes. You know, people say, oh, this town has changed, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, that's ridiculous. Uh, the whole world has changed, you <laughs> right, know. Right. The whole world has changed, and in many ways for the better. So, you know, mm-hmm. not always, but uh, many ways. Mm-hmm. You know, I just visited my, well, when I grew up, first of all, we didn't have a number on our street because it was so small. <laughs> our address was, if this is not the greatest address ever, I don't know what it is. Our address was Daisy Hill Road, Hyannis, Mass. <laughs> that was an entire address. <laughs> and we didn't lock our doors. You mm-hmm. know, you didn't lock your car. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's... That's how I grew up, too, yeah. Mm-hmm. You grew up that way, too? Yeah, yeah. It was... Yeah, yeah. It was... I don't think I even had a house key, like as a kid. I mean, it was <laughs> the door was oh, you yeah, know. I, I don't, same here. I don't think I did either. <laughs> yeah, well, that's one of the changes that's maybe not as good. But there's other things that's great. It's great that, you know, I mean, my gosh, the fact that we have the Internet and we mm-hmm. discover each other and you found me on Facebook and, um, you know, <laughs> and I'm doing a radio interview with on the phone. That's spectacular. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And uh, by the way, how can uh, if people want to want to uh, find you, like not like seek you out at your house, but if they want to find you <laughs> online, uh, how, how can they do so? Uh, best way, and thank you for asking, is my website. It's hollandmcfallister.com, dot uh, com, and that H O L L A N D M A C F is in Frank A L L I S T E R dot com. Um, you'll also uh, find out about my other life, which is my hobby. Um, I ride something that most people can't visualize because you haven't seen it. Uh, you know what a kid's razor scooter is? Hmm, I don't actually. Uh, just a kick scooter. A okay, I don't. Yeah, okay. On a, yeah, basic kid scooter. Okay. So that's what most people know. I ride a big version of that. So it's the size of a bicycle. But I'm kick. I'm standing and kicking instead of pedaling. But mm-hmm. I've got big wheels on it. Um, these are just. I mean, next to acting, my biggest passion. And uh, I'm kind of. I, I mean, it's amazing. I met a casting director at Sundance. We we're both from LA, but here we are um, in Utah at Sundance. And I'm meeting her and her boyfriend. And her boyfriend looks at me and goes, "I see you kicking around uh, our street." <laughs> I mean, people know me from this. I have one casting office that when I leave, they go by the window to wave goodbye to me to see me on my kick scooter. And I recently um, 
I was shopping. I read about a new scooter that's uh, aluminum, a little uh, lighter, and it was exactly the specs that I wanted. I've had bigger and I've had smaller, but this was the exact specs I wanted, 20-inch front wheel, 20-inch rear wheel. Uh, they hadn't been imported yet. They were just coming to this country. I was writing inquiries and uh, dealing with the shop in San Diego who was going to be bringing them over. And he finally said, he you know, looked at my website, he saw that I was an actor, uh, he saw that I have some presence in this little scooter community, and uh, he said, you know what, if you come to Las Vegas, there's a big bike show called Interbike, and we're going to be premiering these scooters there. Uh, they're coming over from the Czech Republic, a representative from the company. The company is uh, Edo, uh, Y-E-D-O-O. I'm still not exactly sure how to pronounce <laughs> it. Um, uh, but they said, if you come to Las Vegas, we will make you a brand ambassador. We'll give you a couple of scooters to ride around town, to promote on social media. So I'm thrilled. So I'm, I'm now... I'm a brand ambassador, which makes me feel very important, <laughs> and, and I've got two beautiful scooters. So um, there's one whole tab on my website that's uh, pictures of me on my scooter, and there's also a tab with some, uh, you know, some of my demo clips and video and mm -hmm. you know recent stuff. So that's great. I'd be uh, delighted if uh, any of your listeners uh, checked out the website. Sweet. And what was it about this scooter that uh, that drew you to it? You know. It's interesting. I have, and when I say it, I don't mean it as a, you know, like people say, oh, I'm crazy. <laughs> I really have obsessive compulsive disorder, diagnosed in everything. And uh, it's, uh, it's pretty under control. I'm not like one of those people who won't shake hands. You know, I like to shake hands, I like to touch, but I'm going to use my hand sanitizer directly afterwards. <laughs> the reason I mention the obsessive part is when I get interested in something, you cannot get me off Google. I mean, hours I'll be looking up something. I heard about these scooters, and at the time, I stopped driving uh, in about 1991. And uh, I like to say the world is now a safer place for everyone. <laughs> um, so I was in New York where you don't need a car, and when I came back to L.A., I thought, oh, can you do this without a car? I didn't want to start driving. I hated driving. And I was doing buses, and it was okay. But there was a few places that were like a mile and a half away, not that far, but there really wasn't a bus that caught me there. Um, so I read about these scooters, and I thought, hey, that might be great. So I really researched the heck out of them. I got on trains to go visit, you know, see them. I got people to drive me to see other ones. finally chose one, and it really was fun. What I didn't expect is that this would increase and increase and it would become my main form of transportation. Mm -hmm. So uh, I've gone, you know, it's not unusual for me to go, I almost always go five miles in a day over the course of a day, but it's not unusual for me to go seven to 12 miles a day kicking around. And I've gone up to 20, 25, but that's rare, you know, like mm -hmm. on a special, you know, where I'm kind of pushing myself at a, at a biking event or something. Um, so I've gone through many scooters. They've all been a little different, but uh, they really make you feel like a kid. Um, mm -hmm. they're, they're the right speed for me as well. For the way I ride, not as a pro, but the way I ride as a casual rider, I'm half as fast as a bike, twice as fast as a pedestrian, and I'm legal on most sidewalks. So it integrates very nicely. I, I go wherever it's safest. I do bike lanes if there's bike lanes. I go on you know side streets if it's daylight. I go on sidewalks if it's a busy street. 
Um, they're just fun. They integrate nicely. I throw it on the subway. I can get to a lot of places with it, and it's fun. Also, with biking, I had problems with my knees, and with this, it's um, it's easier. On one hand, it's easier on the body, but on the other hand, it's better exercise in a way because it gives you a full body workout. You're using your upper body. I used to have to do back exercises every day, and I don't anymore because every kick, you're stretching your lower back. But I think the bottom line is I just think it's fun. <laughs> you're kind of just gliding around. You know, uh -huh. It's fun. <clears throat> That's very cool. Uh, I think it's a great story. Well, uh, Holland, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. It has been my pleasure. Thank you so much for reaching out and for embracing Greasy. Uh, I loved your interview with uh, Sky and Michael, and I know you've got some uh, more coming up, at least uh, Elizabeth. I know. Have you done Elizabeth already? No, I'll be, yeah, I'll be doing her uh, soon, and, uh, and also uh, Carl's going to be on, Carl Solomon. Oh, fantastic, fantastic. Carl is such a trip. I said to Carl, I said, the people who have the DVD are really going to be the people who fall in love with you because the first time you may notice him, but the yeah. more you watch him, you go, that's the same person. That's the same person. Uh -huh. That's the same person. So he's so fun. He's so fun at it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. It's been awesome. And, uh, and uh, continued success. Thank you very much. And to you. Happy trails. Thank you.